Welcome to the Sparketing Podcast. Hey everybody, Blake here, your host, and just a quick word before we get into the episode today. I just launched my new blog at blakebml.com. I've been tweaking it and making it perfect, and now I'm starting to add more and more content to it. So I would love to invite you to go check it out. Let me know what you think, and please request any questions you have or any blogs or videos that you would like to see me put out to answer your questions. Let me know, and I would love to do that for you. Again, blakebml.com. Visit today. In this episode, I speak with Corey Warfield. We're going to talk about a lot of different things, but mostly about entrepreneurism and social media, specifically LinkedIn. So if you're looking to branch off into being an entrepreneur, start your own company, get into software technology, if that's your thing, this is a great interview for you to listen to. Likewise, if you're looking to build your presence on social media by building real relationships with people, I really recommend that you stick around for this one. Either way, this is a great interview. I had a great time interviewing Corey. He's a good friend of mine now, and I really hope that you find value from this interview. So without further ado, let's get right into the interview with Corey Warfield. All right, I'm here with Corey Warfield, and excited to have you on the podcast today. Corey, how are you doing? I'm amazing. How are you? Never been better. Thank you for asking. Love it. (laughs) So Corey and I um, are Connections on LinkedIn. He has amazing content that he's been putting out, and I've been following him for a while. Excited to have him on the show and provide some real value to the listeners today. Um, Corey, I want to start out by asking you a little bit about your background, your story. So where you started compared to where you are now, and then we'll, we'll get to the future later. So let's just go up until right now. Awesome. Uh, so I grew up in Evanston, just outside of Chicago. Uh, good household, good grades, went to college on a full academic scholarship, the whole nine yards. Uh, but after my first year of college, I came back and started working for a temp agency that got me a job at, at Rand McNally as a software tester, paying, and this is late 90s, mid 90s, I was making 15 bucks an hour, loved that job. And uh, so I decided to keep it. it. It went longer. You know, basically, I would have had to cut the job, uh, cut it off early to go back to college. So I decided to take a year off. After that job, they got me uh, a job, the same agency as a metrologist at Searle Pharmaceutical Research. I started in an office there, but within a couple of weeks, I'd been promoted, and they kept me as a temp, and they, I think they didn't want to buy, buy me out from a deco. And so I was making eighteen fifty an hour as an 18-year-old kid in 1997, right? So I never went back to college, long story short. <laughs> uh, but then I started making some, of the, some bad decisions, and uh, you know, I got involved in some stuff. That, that basically my family didn't want much to do with me. My friends didn't want much to do with me. And I started traveling the country thinking that, you know, I was, uh, you know, I, I really, in my mind, I think was an adventurer, mastermind, criminal kind of thing. And so I ended up homeless for about a year and a half. And, you know, the, the real deal, sleeping underneath uh, bridges and park benches and the whole nine yards. And so, you know, this is around the turn of the millennium. No ambitions, no college degree, you know, very little support anymore from my friends and family, totally my own fault. Uh, but so it took me a couple of years to kind of climb out of that funk. And once, once I finally decided to take my life back into my own hands, I, I started in restaurants. So started as a dishwasher, worked my way up to busboy, waiter, got certified as a sommelier, started, you know, run, running the service programs at some of these high-end restaurants and resort towns. 
I made six figures, uh, had a couple of years stint in management, uh, realized that I was never going to make as much as a manager as I could as a waiter. So I went back to that for about 10 years. And that brings us to relatively recently. I came back to Chicago. My grandfather was sick and then he passed and my mom was sick and she passed. And you know, there's just all these reasons for me to be here. Uh, and I was making good money. I uh, met my, my now wife about 10 years ago, uh, brought her back here kind of when my grandfather got sick. So it's kind of this evolution, right? Brought me back to Chicago, making decent money, uh, finally in a meaningful relationship. And the restaurant that I was at, it helped open it. It was a multi-million dollar prime steakhouse. We got bought by a billionaire. And literally the first thing that he did was raise the price of everything on the menu by a buck and make the portion size smaller on everything on the menu. And it was just so crappy, right? Like as a salesperson, they tried to paint it as we all got a raise. They're like, guess what? You all got a raise. It's like, no, we now as salespeople have less reason to believe in our product, right? But so the very next week, he, I guess, crunched the numbers and realized they were paying a lot of money for their scheduling software that they were using. And we needed that. You know, in, in the service industry, your schedule changes every week. You have all these on-call shifts and, uh, you know, not having that insight into your schedule would be prohibitive. So we offered to pay for it out of our pocket. It was going to be like 20 bucks a month each. Uh, they, they ran that up to flagpole. They, they decided that they didn't want that on their balance sheet. So I tried to put some stuff together like Facebook groups and uh, Google, Google, uh, Google Sheets, right? Nothing worked at all. So I realized there weren't any good affordable solutions on the market. And furthermore, I realized that there were so many ways to monetize a scheduling platform that no one had identified. So, uh, you know, may, maybe it was a little bit of naivete, uh, but I decided to start a software company. And three years later, we've, we've taken some accolades and named to some top 10 lists. We're the second result on Google Play for employee scheduling. Uh, we're, we're at right around, I think, 6,000 downloads, 6,000 6, active signups, I believe, uh, over 10,000 downloads. And so we're having fun. We're, I think we're 4.7 stars on both app stores. We're about to roll out some of our new features that are going to be revenue drivers. Uh, started charging fairly recently. And even some of our earlier customers that have been using us for free are now happy to pay for what we provide. And, and we are still the most affordable scheduling solution on the market. Reason being, we're going to be able to monetize our users down the road. So that's kind of the rags to riches story in hopefully less than five minutes. <laughs> that No, that's <laughs> awesome and very inspiring because a lot of people, I don't know if necessarily a lot of people have gone through the homeless stage, which is incredibly difficult and impressive that you've made it out of that and where you are where you are now. But certainly there are a lot of people listening right now that are at a crossroads that maybe want to slip into entrepreneurship, but are either scared or don't feel they have the resources or, or whatever. And you mentioned that when you were homeless, you didn't feel like you really had that ambition. Um, was it was it really just not until the point where you had that restaurant and you, you saw the need for the scheduling software that you really thought about entrepreneurship? Or was that in the back of your mind all along? So it's kind of been in the back of my mind all along. And I was incredibly fortunate at my last job waiting tables. I had people regularly like Bill Clinton, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Vince Vaughn, like Steve Harvey, all these people that I'd always kind of admired and liked. And I got to know some of them pretty well. And a number of them would tell me, Corey, you, you have this entrepreneurial spirit. You need, you're destined for something bigger. And like, when you hear that from people that not only have amassed you know, $100 million uh, net worths, but are, are notorious worldwide telling you something, you kind of listen, right? And I think the first few times it felt like lip service. And I finally <laughs> did realize, I'm like, 
these people are all telling me that. And I think that did just kind of plant the seed. Um, I also, to be honest, I, I'm now in my 40s and uh, I was just getting so sick of waiting tables. It had been, it treated me really well. I've been on private jets because of, you know, of regulars that I have had. And I've had this really just crazy life as a waiter, but I, I knew I was over it for a couple of years. I think I was just looking for my, for my out. And once I realized the potential for a scheduling platform, uh, I think it was that there was there was no way out. Within 72 hours, I had the name, the prototypes. I'd filed for a, for a copyright. Uh, we were working on a landing page. I was enrolled to learn coding, uh, which I'm not smart enough for. It turns out, uh, thank <laughs> God, I'm smart enough to find people smarter than me, uh, you know, that have been able to make the magic happen. But yeah, I, I think as soon as I really understood, you know, kind of the what and the why, people are telling me you know, that, that I had this, this drive and this personality. I think I just, uh, once it clicked, I've never looked back. So, so you're, you're saying that you did have it in you, but you kind of needed a little bit of help getting that out to, to really have it sink in that you wanted to be entrepreneurial. You needed a little bit of a push in whether it was somebody else pointing it out to you constantly or, or actually just being pushed by your circumstances to, you know, move forward with something. And there, there's certainly a lot of people that can relate to that. So how have you, how have you used social media to, to grow your business? Now that you, sure. now that you are entrepreneurial, now that you have shed wool and you're, you're building it, what role has social media played in that? So I'd love to answer that, but I'd love to back up just for a quick second and, and just, one thing that I love to mention that really resonated with me about entrepreneurial, you know, entrepreneurship and entrepreneurialism is I think they say 99% of people fail at the exact same point in their, in their endeavor. And that's right before they start, right? Everybody's got these great ideas and everybody wants to do something about them and almost nobody does. And I think that's, that's the bandaid to rip off, right? I had no clue what I was doing. <laughs> I didn't know what SAS meant. I yeah. like literally, I, I didn't know what a KPI was. I didn't know about Mailchimp. Uh, and one of my one of my first meetings with a mentor of mine who built a hundred million dollar software company on his own. Uh, you know, I, I guess the very first thing, and this this ties in quickly to your question. Uh, the first thing I, I was saying, I wanted to be very guarded on equity. He said, "Corey, would you rather own ten percent of a billion dollar company or a hundred percent of a million dollar company?" I said, "Touche." Uh, he said, "Okay, well then." If you understand that, then the two things you need to do are go out and get the link startup and read it, and you need to get active on LinkedIn. I was like, LinkedIn? Like the, res the resume site? Like that was literally mm -hmm. my, my perception. I was like, why would I want to be on LinkedIn? It makes no sense. So I signed up because you know, I'm smart enough to listen to people that are smarter than me, but, but I signed up and I really didn't do anything with it. And uh, you know, I, I got accepted into an accelerator program. They weren't really that bullish on LinkedIn, and they weren't that active. And, so they didn't push me in that direction. And then I actually got accepted into the Global Accelerator Network's first post-accelerator called Scale School. And I think they were a little bit more, at least some of the mentors they had coming in were pretty active on LinkedIn. And I think I started to see the potential. But uh, what really did it for me, especially with regards to LinkedIn uh, and social media, I guess, as a whole, but was a, a book called Traction uh, by Gabriel Weinberg. And basically... He postulates that there are 12 and only 12 traction channels and that it's really important to identify the one that's going to work for your business, not your industry. And so I, I tested them all. Turned out social was our channel. Played with Facebook, Twitter. We really weren't getting those conversions. 
And I think I just had an epiphany, like the aha moment. It's like, where are the decision makers? Where's my target customer? Because we benefit the shift workers, but they're not the ones that's going to go tell their boss, hey, you need to use this software, right? Mm-hmm. We need, the, we need the, the bosses that can make the decision that are empowered. Or even in a larger company, we need the CIOs, the CFOs, the, the people that really identify with the expense that, miss, you know, that, that not, not addressing scheduling properly or automating it presents. And I realized they all were on LinkedIn. So I started taking a little bit more seriously. I was kind of that chameleon for a month or so, just going on for maybe half an hour a day, looking at who was doing what. I think that's the first time I realized people, you know, certain people that, that you and I know who they are, uh, were getting like thousands of likes per post. I'm like, wait a minute, this is amazing. So I started taking it seriously. I started emulating what they were doing, started trying to come up with just value add content and trying to get it in front of the right eyeballs. And only fairly recently, I'll shout out Michael Chapman uh, and Rana, but Michael Chapman and I were on a call and he, he does great, great things on LinkedIn. I mean, he's, I've, I've seen him have posts with 10,000 likes on him, uh, but he reached out to me on a call not too very long ago. And uh, I'm going to paraphrase and I, uh, you know, sometimes when I paraphrase other people, I, I hear from them later. And they go, oh, that's not exactly what I said. So this is my interpretation of what he said. But basically, he kicked my ass almost as bad as it had ever been kicked. And he said, Corey, I really like you. I really like the content that you're putting out on LinkedIn. And it's clear that a lot of other people are also liking your content. However, I don't know what the hell you do. He goes, I, I see your, your <laughs> CEO of Shedwell. I've never heard of Shedwell. I don't care enough to, to find out more. And so you've lost me. Yeah, like literally, that's what he said. And, and this is someone telling me he likes me. Like this guy likes me professionally on LinkedIn and still doesn't care about my company. And so it really clicked. And what he said is, if you're not, if you're not posting about Shedwell at least a third of the time, if you're not telling all, you know, I think at the time I had 8,000 followers or something, it's like, if you're not telling everybody why you created this company, how it is that you can make their life better with it. And if you don't show us that you really believe in this and know how to sell then you're totally missing the point of LinkedIn. It was like LinkedIn's not just a platform to be a nice guy. It's not just a platform to tell other people, you know, how to get active uh, engagement on LinkedIn like you're doing. He said it's a platform to sell yourself and your ideas and to network with people that you can benefit. And so that really clicked. And the very next day I put up a post. I think that the, the first sentence was, what the sign, 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 sign am I doing here? You know, basically why the... Am I, am I here on LinkedIn? And, and then I just said it. It's like, because I created this amazing platform. We've saved companies over a quarter million dollars. And here's a link to it. We had more signups and web traffic after that post than we've ever had before. And I think that's when it hit me like a ton of bricks. It's like, it's great to be a positive person. It's great to have influence and to exert it. And it's, it's very humbling. I, I'd say it, it sounds silly to say out loud and to admit, I probably have 10 people a day posting about me on LinkedIn anymore, right? So I'll see that and oh my God, Corey Warfield changed my life or look at this, look at this uh, post from Corey, you know, this is gonna, whatever, right? And, uh, but, but that alone isn't as effective as, as LinkedIn is, can be. And now that I'm teaching other people what I've been taught by Michael, which is promote your business, promote, promote yourself professionally, it has changed my world. So, uh, to put things in perspective, when I first started to get active on LinkedIn, my company comprised of my co-founder, my, my director of operations, and myself, and one salesperson, right? We were, we were basically four people. Uh, my director of operations and myself were only full-time. Uh, after being active on LinkedIn here for just a few months, we're now a team of 30. 
Uh, I've got almost all my team from LinkedIn. We've now closed our first investment round ever. I bootstrapped a company, uh, was never able to raise capital. Um, the, the check's not in the bank yet, but, but a guy that found me on LinkedIn that loves what I'm doing uh, realized that we were raising a round and, and he wanted to get involved. And so we're getting team from LinkedIn. We're getting investors from LinkedIn. We're getting so many customers from LinkedIn. Uh, one, of our, one of our potential acquirers is ADP, and I wanted to strategically go after them. So I, I went to add some of them into my network and I realized I already had some and uh, just super random a couple days afterwards I got a message I put up a post about link about Shedwell and, and I got a direct message from one of the ADP guys he goes Corey we need you on our app store uh, we would love to promote you to our our customers I said well that's great because you're you're one of my uh, my target acquirers you know down the road mm -hmm. we just had into it by a close competitor of ours for 346 million dollars earlier this year so you know, kind of the space has been proven, that partnership model makes a lot of sense. And he goes, okay, that's kind of what we were thinking as well. So here's the next step, you know, here's an SDK, submit your API to our app store and, and we'll, we'll see what traction we can get you and we'll take it from there. So I kind of, you know, not to yada, yada, yada over a lot of stuff, but basically in a very short amount of time, LinkedIn has changed the game for us at Shedwell. And uh, I, I think it's pretty replicable. I don't think that we're doing anything that unique. Um, as far as what I'm doing on, on LinkedIn, I think that the strategy that I've used could be implemented by almost anyone in almost any capacity. That's super powerful. Um, do you feel like, you, you mentioned traction, you mentioned that you have to find your network or your or what's going your platform, whether it's you know social media and then what social media or, or whatever else. Do you feel like one person can be great at multiple social media platforms? Like, do you think that you could be great at LinkedIn and you could be great at Facebook and great at Instagram all at the same time? Or do you feel that the maximum amount of success would come from only choosing one of those? So for, for me, the answer is only one. And, uh, you know, so, someone, someone like Oleg Sapolsky, who I absolutely admire and think the world of, uh, he's begun getting active on Twitter and on Facebook and I'm a, we're Facebook friends and you know, we're, we follow each other on Twitter, his level of engagement on those platforms, some people would look at it and say it's pretty, pretty good. He might get a couple hundred likes. It's nothing compared to what he's doing on, on LinkedIn. His, his following on LinkedIn, I, I think he's getting close to a million followers. Mm -hmm. I've seen him literally get 50,000 likes on a post. So why would, in my mind, why would he be spending any time on a platform to get 80 likes if he can get, you know, 50,000, especially when on Twitter, He's kind of like, oh, the, the, the Daily Mail guy with the background at, at IBM, maybe. Whereas mm -hmm. on LinkedIn, he's the godfather. He's, I mean, <laughs> everyone on LinkedIn knows Oleg. Everybody loves Oleg. And so, you know, I, I feel like any time that he spends off LinkedIn is probably, I wouldn't say wasted time. And at this point, he can do whatever he wants. But uh, I don't think he's going to see any of that efficacy. Now, there is one platform that my team is really pushing me hard to get active on, and I'm trying. Yeah, I say I'm trying. I'm really not. I probably should be trying harder, but that's Alignable. It does seem like Alignable is a great platform that can be used kind of, uh, you know, tangentially to LinkedIn. It seems like there are a lot of people looking for referrals in business. And mm. I think most of the people on Alignable are also active on LinkedIn. So I do think that there might be plays to, to leverage, you know, two platforms together. Uh, but as far as being good at, at, at all three or finding a, a big splash, I don't think that 
that it's wise to dilute to dilute oneself, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And and everybody kind of has a different opinion on that question, honestly. Um, do you know Natalia Vihovsky? Do you know her? I don't believe so. She's So she's a, a big content creator as well on LinkedIn. I had her on last week and she she's kind of on separate, you know, Instagram and LinkedIn and a little bit of Twitter. And she's of the belief that you can be, you know, pretty good at, at multiple platforms. But it, it, it seems like there's no correct answer to that. It really depends on the person for sure. But if you can focus your efforts on just one, you'll obviously be able to probably achieve more on the one platform than if you focus on the many just by the fact that you're able to focus a little bit more. But um, how much – Go ahead. Go ahead. But yeah, to, to, to dig deeper for a second, I also think it really depends on your desired outcomes. So someone like Oleg, he literally is on a mission and he will succeed, but to just be a global influencer. So for him, it might make sense to be on 10 platforms. Maybe it makes sense for him to post on Google Plus for the SEO. Mm-hmm. Maybe it makes sense for him to be tweeting. You know, um, For me, I never once found a conversion from Facebook or from Twitter, and, and I'd post about Shedwell and it would be cricket. So for, for me, the platform where I see the ROI is LinkedIn because I'm looking for actively looking for customers, looking for, you know, I'm evangelizing the brand. We're really trying to, you know, just establish ourselves as a market leader and we want everyone to have heard of Shedwell. Mm-hmm. And it's so much fun because people don't understand the name ever, which is great. It's, it's why I called it Shedwell. And then as soon as they realize that Shedwell means schedule or, you know, the vernacular being we want people to say, check your Shedwell. Uh, and when I post about that on LinkedIn, people are going, oh, my God, that's so clever. I, I never – I've been wondering, right? I did a four-part <laughs> story just about a guy whose scheduling sucked at his work, never mentioned Shedwell. And uh, I probably had 30, 40 people in the comments saying, oh, my God, this company needs Shedwell. This company needs Shedwell. And a lot of them are people I never heard of before. You know, I'm sure they'd engage with me a little bit. But, you know, I, I've got, what, 14,000 people thousand followers or something mm-hmm. it's like I, I don't know who everybody is unfortunately uh, but but so on LinkedIn there are these people I don't even know who they are and now they're knowing about Shedwell when I've tried similar things on Facebook or on on Twitter it, it literally there's there's no efficacy or reach at all so mm-hmm. so I think it really depends on your desired outcome yeah for sure how much time do you spend on LinkedIn every day uh, oh my god that's <laughs> uh that's an embarrassing question um, <laughs> I know it would be. my wife my wife's been out of country so it's, it's been a little more, I probably, I say, people ask me this question often. I'd probably say I spend six hours a day on LinkedIn. Wow. To be honest. Now I'm multitasking a lot of the time. Um, I take a lot of calls. Um, you know, there are definitely calls that I'm on LinkedIn as well. Uh, you know, there are times when I'm doing data entry or whatever, and I have LinkedIn just open in the background. So every time I hear that ding, I can just respond to a message. Uh, and then there are days where, you know, it'll just say 99 plus, you know, messages, 99 plus notifications, 99 plus contact, you know, connection requests. And I just can't catch up. There, there are days where I literally have to say, okay, I don't have time for this because it's, it's going to, that's a rabbit hole. And next thing I know, it's going to be 8 p.m. and I won't have done any of my mm-hmm. office work. So I do try to toe that line. But, uh, you know, I'd say conservatively, there are days and I'm two, two hours on LinkedIn, but there are other days I probably hit that eight hour mark. And my, my goal, I want to have 10,000 engagements a day on LinkedIn. And, you know, some people think that's a lot for me. It's not because I know people like Oleg and Bridget are, are engaging much more than that even. But for me, I love to at least like, like I want, I really want to like at least a thousand posts a day. 
I want to comment on at least a thousand posts a day. I want to engage with every comment on my posts a day, which is typically many thousands. Uh, and then there's the DMs and all that. So it's it definitely, you know, it, it is, it's time consuming, but the ROI that I've seen is, is huge. And, uh, you know, I used to think I didn't have time for LinkedIn. And I think as soon as I changed my thought process on that to, to say, I don't have time not for, or I don't have time to not be on LinkedIn. Right. It really changed, changed the game for me. So, <laughs> so I guess you would say that um, you don't feel at all like the amount of time you put onto LinkedIn would be better served doing something else. You think that that's probably the best allocation of your time other than the, the work that you're doing for Shedwell, obviously. The other time spent, you feel like LinkedIn is the best use of that time. I do. And, you know, I'm one of those crazy guys. I try to work from 5 a.m. to midnight, seven days a week. I haven't had a day off in three years, right? So I'm definitely doing a lot. I'm a mentor at Founder Institute. So I have six companies that I'm on, you know, basically their advisory boards, helping them grow and scale. I have 10 more companies that I mentor or advise. Uh, I'm on several board of directors. So I, you know, it's, it, it's funny because I, I spend a lot of time actually in the field, getting to know people, taking coffees, you know, rolling up my sleeves, getting the whiteboards out, like really helping people to get to my point. And, you know, I'm really trying to groom uh, leaders and entrepreneurs that are going to, you know, eclipse or dwarf me someday. So I'm doing a lot of that. And then I do a lot of charity work as well. I work with Turning Point Autism Foundation to help young adults with autism assimilate into the workforce. I, I really community service is big for me as well. So. I think my my measure right now is as long as I can get all, all my work done for Shedwell. I also am a paid consultant, so I have mm-hmm. paid consultancies. It's like as long as as long as I can get all my actual workflow out of the way, and as long as I can still give my wife and dog some time, as long as I can still do some charity work, then I think anything else is fair game for LinkedIn. Because yeah, I definitely <laughs> and it's really bizarre to me to kind of kind of get real. Um, I think with LinkedIn, one of the things I like the most about it is. Things in my world otherwise haven't been that great. Even recently, you know, bootstrapping the company has been challenging. You know, hearing hearing hundreds of no's on the phone is is challenging. But but when I go on LinkedIn, all of a sudden people care about who that f I am and what the f I have to say. And mm-hmm. you know, people telling me that I'm changing their life and making their life better, I think has really challenged me to step my own game up. And it, it really is a place where I can go feel good. I can go on there and see a thousand people like my post. And it makes, it makes me feel good. And I think, you know, as an entrepreneur, it's important to find anything that does make you feel good. So for me, I think I found it. I think it's LinkedIn. I don't think it's just the dopamine. I don't think it's just the ego boost. But I do think that those do play into it pretty much, pretty big time as well. Sure thing, yeah. Uh, do, is, there a, is there a mistake that you see a lot of people making on social media that you would advise against? Yeah, so I, I think the, the first thing that I see – people doing on social media that I advise against is being too vanilla or too, too bland. You know, it's these people where their content is basically telling you something and, and then their, their comments are basically awesome or good posts mm-hmm. that doesn't engage or inspire conversation. Right. I try to put stuff that's going to challenge people. It's going to make people I've consciously put posts up before that I think people will disagree with on my post today and people are liking it and it was important, but my post today kind of, was it was an anomaly for me because my post today was stop hitting on people on LinkedIn. I have so many girls reaching out to me lately going, Corey, I need you to go and, you know, have a talk with this person or, or sending me profiles and 
you know, we, we do kind of, some of us behind the scenes and SPN do consider ourselves to kind of be knights of LinkedIn. So mm-hmm. it, if a girl's feeling uncomfortable from a guy, it's not uncommon that I'll go check out his profile, find out where he works and his bosses, and then do a post about that guy and call him out for being a pervert. And we've, you know, not, I hate to say this, but we've had people fired from their jobs. We've had people uh, blocked from LinkedIn, you know, from being inappropriate. So my, my post today isn't going to beg as much conversation because it's basically stop hitting on people on LinkedIn. I, I, I didn't leave it open for discussion. I, if anybody wants to challenge that, I'll probably get pretty vocal. <laughs> you know, yeah, like for sure. <laughs> that, that one's not up for debate. It's, I'm not... I'm not looking for someone to prove me wrong. Other times, you know, I'd love to put up content where it, it may either be contrarian or I know people won't agree with it mm-hmm. because then that's when the magic happens in the comments. And it's funny. I've had some posts where maybe the post will have 50 likes, but it'll have 700 comments, you know, and it's like, that's cool. I'm not only doing it for the likes, I'm really doing it for the conversation. And yeah. you know, a lot of times you have stuff out and people that might not agree with you. Uh, you know, come around. I would say one of the other things that I talk about often that, that I disagree with, and it's great to find things that you disagree with the populace about, because it really does just engage that uh, that audience and also establish you as a thought leader, even if it's a contrarian thought. So people always post about and talk about how important it is to send a, a message with your LinkedIn request. Mm-hmm. And I hate that. I don't do it. I've never, you know, I don't, I'm pretty sure I was the one that tried to get connected to Oleg and Bridget and, and, and Brett Brody and some of these people, but I didn't send any of them a message. And if they were the ones that reached out to me, I can guarantee they didn't send a message either. And I think psychologically for me, it's a, you know who I am, or I expect that you know who I am, even if you don't really. I think that it's a strong play and I think it gives them more of a reason to go check out your profile quickly. And I get, I, I probably get a hundred requests today with messages that literally just say, hey, Corey, I love your content, would love to connect or something. And it's like, not to be cocky, but it's like, I know, I know you do. Like, that's why you're sending me this request. Like, that was literally a waste of 30 <laughs> yeah. seconds of your life. And the point where I wasn't even accepting people's, it's like, <laughs> why did you do that? I was probably going to accept you anyway. I'm growing network, you know, like, yeah. it's just weird. So Things like that. I think if you find something where everyone's everyone's zigging and you can zag and you have mm-hmm. a compelling reason to to kind of stand by your beliefs and, and be a little bit different, uh, I think that's really compelling. And like for me, I've been trying to poke bear with Gary V lately on LinkedIn. He's trying to take LinkedIn more seriously, but he's doing the whole Gary V thing where he's yelling at people and telling them that we're we're entitled, and we don't work hard enough. And it's like I can tell you for sure that's not me. I, I probably put in more hours in Gary Vee and, and, and I come from less than he did. He loves to say that he came from nothing, but his parents had a million dollar wine store and, and empowered him to build a social presence and, and grow that business. So I don't believe that he came from nothing and I don't believe that everyone's uh, entitled and uninspired and yet he's out there yelling. So I haven't had huge efficacy poking that bear yet, but I'll often go on his content and be like, wrong, <laughs> nope, Gary, you're up. You're out, of, you're, you're out on this one. And some, some of the people in his close circle have started following me and engaging with my stuff pretty closely. So it's just been fun. Um, you know, I, I feel like I really want to see him at the top. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> do, you, do you have a piece of advice for the future entrepreneurs that are listening right now, whether they were in a similar situation to what you were or not? What piece of advice would you give these future entrepreneurs right now? I make moves. It's, 
if, if you're not making progress on your goal every single day, you're failing. It's if you have an idea, speak it into action today. Take those first steps. Make a wireframe. Tell a family member that you're doing this. There's no there's no bad time to start, and and there are there's there's no good reason not to. We're, the worst case is you'll fail fast, fail forward. You'll learn a whole lot. You'll evolve into something that's going to grow into something that can change the world. But I think so many people are sitting on great ideas or so many people are in their own way, letting their fears get, get the best of them. And I'm just one person and, and I'm probably not the, the best person even uh, out there doing this, but there are a lot of people like me that are willing to help. There's no one that reaches out to me on LinkedIn that I'm not happy to at least hop on a call with, see how I can help them if it's introductions or if it's telling them a book to read and knowing that I'm not alone there's no excuses, right? Anybody with an idea right now, any entrepreneur that's struggling, you can reach out to a, a mentor or a consultant. Uh, Caroline Fernandez is a wonderful content cr creator on LinkedIn. She and I are putting together a platform actually with mentors and consultants that are just totally free. We're just there to help people that can't afford a mentor or a consultant, but need someone to help move the football down the field. And, uh, you know, I, I think that 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 excuse that people tell themselves when they hear hear this podcast and they realize that's not an excuse, like that's not valid reason to not be making progress every day. Uh, I think that would be the most valuable thing that I can share with them. Corey, once again, want to thank you so much for coming on the Sparketing Podcast and sharing these insights with the audience. Now, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about Shed Wool and why it's so important what you're building right now. Not. I'll, I'll tell people a couple of reasons why they should really give a damn about about both me and Shedwell and, and where we're taking this thing. Uh, people are rightfully calling us Uber for work. We're getting into the temp space. I mentioned that I come from a background in the temp. And they, mm -hmm. they got me some great jobs. The example I give is restaurants, but then I extrapolate a little bit. If a restaurant using Shedwell needed a, a hostess or a dishwasher on a Saturday night, very soon they'll be able to promote that shift out to that market for people that work in that area and capacity that are free that night looking for more work. So now without having to go out and try to hire a hostess, which is, you know, it's prohibitive, they're not going to do it. They'll run with less hostesses, seat to tables less quickly. Well, now they can get a hostess from another restaurant in the top that wants to make more money and she can provide more for herself or her family. Uh, we're also uh, getting, getting pretty involved in the home healthcare space, the construction space. So you can extrapolate that out if someone needs a registered nurse or if a construction site needs an electrician. Uh, we will have all the data points and be able to leverage that. So, you know, we're not just a scheduling platform at all. We're really taking the gig economy very seriously. We, we think that we've identified the best place to reach a manager uh, and, and none, none, no one else in the market is, has come up with that yet. And then my big, hairy, audacious goal that I will be doing, you know, here sooner than later uh, is, is uh, ocean floor exploration. I have a, a prototype, um, very, very, very basic yet, but the concept is sound. And uh, once we're able to finance it, we're, we're going to take a larger scale prototype to the bottom of the lakes. We're going to be able to explore the bottom of a couple of the great lakes here. <laughs>